Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi guys, welcome back to Medicus. Today we have Colin Lilly on the show who is a third-year medical student at Loyola Strict School of Medicine and despite still being very early on in his training, has contributed substantially to the field of pathology. His CV is as impressive as the CV of individuals twice his age, and he shows no indication of slowing down. So welcome, Cullen. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners, touching on your schooling thus far and what led you to pursue medicine? Absolutely, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. My name is Cullen Lilly, and I initially actually got into thinking about medicine through thinking about diagnostic medicine. And so I, you know, early on, this was in uh, seventh grade or something, I, you know, I was looking at pond water under the microscope. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And like, I made that like, we had like a business project we had to do. And so I had like a business that I started that was diagnostic microbiology. Um, And that's kind of what led me into being interested in biology in general. And, you know, I was I was always interested in it. But then, you know, I was kind of going back and forth what I wanted to pursue and how I wanted to move on in uh, undergrad and into, you know, later on in graduate school and such. I was pre-PA for a while. I was, you know, kind of all <laughs> over the place. But, you know, I ended up deciding to do a bachelor's in music and biology at Loyola wow. University, New Orleans. So started out at Loyola and now I'm back at Loyola again. <laughs> and then I actually did a master's in microbiology after. Awesome. What an interesting um, combination doing music and biology. What instrument do you play? Are you vocals? Yeah, I'm actually a vocalist. I am a bass baritone. I initially played trumpet in high school and then I decided to switch over to the vocal side. I was always into like musicals and such, but between like scholarship money and really having that break from the hard sciences, it was kind of the ideal situation for me. Yeah, I also used to play the violin when I was in middle school. And when I got to high school, I was like, Mom, I can't do this anymore. I do not like the violin. So I actually switched over into choir as well. Definitely feel that switching from the instrument to using your own voice as an instrument. So when did you first become interested in pathology? And how did you learn about the sometimes hidden specialty? Yeah, like I said, I mean, I was interested in microbiology. And you know, I am now looking back on it and realizing I was interested in diagnostic microbiology, but I didn't really know about pathology itself. Until I got training in phlebotomy, which I did between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And you know, the phlebotomist is kind of the the bridge between the patient and the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the people that draw the blood, bring the blood or fluid back to the lab. And then sometimes they'll process it depending on which institution you're at. So that was kind of where I first learned about it. And I think that was where I first learned about ASCP, which is the American Society for Clinical Pathology. Mm -hmm. And they are the organization that certifies and licenses the people in the lab. And so I think I started, you know, going down a internet research rabbit hole when I was in high school, in college, actually. And I ended up kind of finding this field that I thought was really interesting. Um, I remember there was like a pamphlet at my undergraduate institution. I probably have one around here that's like the same exact (laughs) thing. And it was like, what is pathology? And initially, I was like, why would I go to medical school and not see patients? But 
you know, the more I got into it, the more I was like, you know, this is exactly why I went to medical school. I'm helping people every day if I, you know, go into this specialty and contributing to medicine in general through research and through the, you know, looking at the tissues and categorizing and so on and so forth. There's so much that pathologists do, but that's kind of how I got into it was initially with phlebotomy. And then as time progressed, I started working in the lab more and started interacting with pathologists more. Mm -hmm. And I realized that there's such a resource to the healthcare team, often underutilized. Mm -hmm. And I just really loved what they did. And now being at Loyola with such an amazing pathology department, Loyola has such a great pathology department, and they've really kind of helped me grow into this pre-pathologist kind of person. You know, I still have my options open. And I think the amazing thing about medical school is that you get to see every specialty that you could possibly go into. But one that's often overlooked is pathology. And it's one that isn't a core rotation. So you don't really go through it. But if you have the chance and you're able to see what a pathologist does, I think it surprises a lot of people. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I think especially because it's not a core rotation. And like you said, thought that you had probably goes through a lot of people's minds of like, oh, pathologists don't see patients. So why would I go to medical school to not see patients? And I think, again, what you touched on that's critical is that they really are essential to patient care, diagnosing and directing continued care for the patient. And so I think something else that's really interesting about you is that you're also pursuing a master's in bioethics and health policy. So can you talk about kind of maybe the intersectionality of ethics and pathology? Yeah, so the bioethics program at Loyola is really amazing. It was kind of one of the first to take on this kind of hybrid online, some in-person and a lot of discussion-based upper education. And because of that, the Loyola bioethics program is a place where no matter what you're interested in, you can end up pursuing that area in bioethics. And they have people that can really help you grow into those areas, even if they're underdeveloped in the academic sense. And I think that the intersectionality between ethics and society and laboratory medicine and pathology is really an under, underdeveloped place in academia. There's some really interesting concepts to explore. Uh, one paper that I recently wrote with Dr. Mirza was about the importance of laboratory medicine and pathology and the distribution of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that's an area that people don't usually look at. You know, it's all about lab test ordering, how many tests you order per patient, how often you order the tests, which kinds of tests you order. It's a really important part of the medical bill at the end of the day. And that is a huge part of what drives patients away or toward the hospital. Another area that's really kind of growing right now is molecular pathology. And if anyone's gotten a molecular test done, you know, it's probably pretty expensive. And so that's something that I think we definitely need to work on in terms of ethics. It's a huge justice issue. If you think about the core principles of bioethics, we're always trying to do our best. So beneficence is always there. Non-maleficence is always present in medicine. And I think in pathology, those two principles are really, really important because you don't really get to communicate with the patient. Um, you don't get to communicate with the patient in the same way that the patient-facing physician does. And so that's something that I've been exploring a little bit throughout my coursework. And 
I've, you know, really grown to love that field, this little niche of pathology laboratory medicine ethics. Maybe we'll work on that name a little bit in the future, (laughs) make it a little bit easier. But, you know, I think it's something that's growing and I'm seeing a lot more interest in it. Um, We have some pathologists that are doing amazing work. And now with the CARES Act, patients are getting access to their report before the physician does or as the physician does, and they might have questions. And so we have now pathologists who are talking with patients. They have full clinic hours if they want a patient to come in and talk about their report. We also have pathologists that are working at the quality improvement level at the hospital because pathologists and laboratorians have been working in quality for far longer than most of the hospitalists Mm -hmm. have. And so that is a great resource that I think is usually underutilized. So those are some areas that I've been kind of interested in and exploring. And I've always welcomed people who are interested in it as well. So maybe we'll grow another community. Yeah, that's awesome. I do think that there's lots of obviously ethical issues in regards to access. And like you said, when a patient goes to see a doctor, they assume like, okay, I'm going to pay to see this doctor. But it's like you said, the associated tests and the fact that there is a person behind those tests, looking and interpreting these tests, sometimes can lead maybe to misunderstanding of where the money goes, because you don't directly see that person. But also, I mean, cost of healthcare in the United States is super high. So it's kind of like a balancing act where you definitely want to make sure to reward people who are working on this and interpreting the tests that are run, but also balancing the costs for individuals. Yeah, healthcare economics is very complex. And I think the laboratory economics in healthcare economics is really going to have to be explored in greater detail. And that's something that I hope to work with other people on. And I know that there's also talk about how pathology and laboratory medicine fit into a kind of reformed healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And all of that is super interesting. And I think it's really important. So that's why I'm I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So speaking of kind of healthcare reform and government organization, as you said, you got a master's in microbiology. And you also worked as a microbiologist at the CDC. So can you talk about your experience at that organization? Yeah, so I worked at CDC as a microbiologist. I was contracted through IHRC. I think a lot of times people get confused about like how to work at CDC, etc. And a lot of times you kind of get in through a contracting organization and then work your way in. I found it really interesting. I really loved the complexity of it. I think CDC is really getting ahead of where they used to be. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, microbiology is going through a fundamental shift in how we look at microbes. And I mean, if you think about it, microbes themselves, issues could really be its own genus. I mean, there is so much diversity in microbes. And when you start looking at that diversity, you can really start to discriminate between sub strains and different places where you've gotten these microbes. And then you can kind of trace the source way easier than you used to in the past. Um, I worked with Listeria, which was one of the first microbes to have whole genome sequencing done at the public health level. And then I also worked with Yersinia and Enterobacterialis now, it used to be Enterobacteraceae and Vibrio. And those were all amazing organisms. I love them. Um, (laughs) I know it's weird to say that, but, you know, looking at them at the 
laboratory level, there's a lot of really interesting biology there. And there's also a lot of opportunity to keep working on the molecular epidemiologies, kind of what it's called now working on that and also now trying to interpret molecular data in a way that can kind of make diagnostics quicker can make antimicrobial susceptibility quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, right now we have to grow microbes in order to see their susceptibility, but expressing the genes that you have is not necessarily the same. So being able to look at the genome and tell if a microbe is microbial resistant would be amazing. So if we can develop tests for that, that would be great. But right now it's a little limited because having a gene does not necessarily mean you're expressing that gene. So that's kind of where it is right now. But it really, I mean, opened my eyes to the complexity of bioinformatics and computational biology and how important the public health system is in America. And I think we've all kind of learned that over the last year. It's also really fragile. You know, we have not that many laboratorians. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a big demand for laboratorians and then all of a sudden, a pandemic hits and you don't have enough laboratorians to actually complete the tests and get the results out, it all kind of, you kind of see what happens. And I think hopefully a silver lining to this pandemic is that the laboratory has gotten a little bit more credit and maybe some other people will pursue it. And I think that's something that needs to be worked on, Uh, you know, like seeing this specialty in high school, especially Mm -hmm. since A lot of people don't realize that uh, you can pursue it right after high school. You go into a bachelor's degree in medical laboratory science and you can be working as really a medical professional and you're a valued resource. I mean, I call the lab and (laughs) I love hearing their answers and their interpretations. So I think that's something that people don't really realize is out there. Yeah, I definitely did not know that, that you can be a contributing member of the medical team right out of high school like that. And I think, like you said, with this pandemic, both virologists and microbiologists are getting hopefully more street cred. There's, you know, that huge issue of us not being able to sequence as many COVID variants, so not being able to keep track of that. And that's kind of speaks to what you said. It's like, there's just not enough people to do that. There's not enough manpower. So that could be a silver lining of this pandemic is that it leads more people to pursue this kind of field. And hopefully we can better handle the next pandemic. So switching gears a little bit, you are the co-founder of the PATH Elective. For those of our listeners who don't know about this elective, can you talk about what it is and what led you to pursue this project? Yeah, so PATH Elective is a free online resource. It is a cornucopia of pathology education resources, and it's basically modular courses that go through almost every specialty in pathology. Um, And for those people who don't know, really every single specialty in medicine has a pathology specialty, with the exception of maybe psychiatry. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's still neuropathology. But anyway, the specialties in pathology, which, you know, would be GI pathology, genitourinary pathology, gyne pathology, breast pathology, and so on and so forth. I mean, it goes on the whole gambit, you know, everything that you can do in medicine, you can do in pathology as well. All of those are kind of built into the website. And for those people who might not be familiar with pathology, it's basically broken up into two parts, you either have anatomic pathology or clinical pathology. Mm -hmm. And anatomic pathology are the pathologists that 
look at the tissues and kind of diagnose based on morphology and molecular data and immunohistochemical data. And all of that together brings you to a diagnosis. And so those specialties are all represented in the anatomic pathology section. And then in the clinical pathology section, you have the specialties that mostly look at body fluids. So, you know, hematology and flow cytometry and medical chemistry, all of that is kind of in that realm as as well as microbiology. And so that's kind of how the website is divided. And you can go in there and you can take any course you want. And it's free of charge. And you end up getting a certificate at the end if you pass the tests. And it's a really great way to further your education completely free. It's online and it's out there. And it was kind of meant to fill that gap that we had in the pandemic, which was you weren't able to go to an in-person elective, but you still had to complete your clinical duties as a medical student. And so at that time, it was really helpful for medical students. And then we found out that it's actually been even more helpful for pathology residents as well. So people who are going into pathology and want a little bit more of a brush up on the basics can go into path elective, take a couple modules on what they're going to be going into for that week or that month or whatever their however long their service is, And they have loved it. We've published one article so far about the utilization of Path Elective and how it's been used and how useful it is. And um, overall, we've had a great response. You know, it's mostly been driven by social media, but we've had an amazing time and we have even more coming, which is kind of amazing. We're one year old now and we have new modules coming out every week this month. And then we even have a birthday bash at the beginning of August, which we're actually going to have live events and some giveaways and we have t-shirts and sweatshirts on sale. And so it's really, really exciting. That's amazing. Happy birthday, Path Elective. Yeah, I definitely have this website bookmarked because I think it is such a great resource. And again, like you said, it's free of charge. You kind of go at your own pace, explore whatever you're interested in. It doesn't have to be in any sort of sequence, um, which is really nice. So how do you go about creating the content for the elective? We basically had a core group of pathologists from around the country that we were all kind of familiar with. And we ended up kind of reaching out to a broader group of pathologists from all around the country and Right now, we have over 50 faculty members, and I don't know how many courses. We have a lot of courses. And basically, you have a course director for every course, and they can make their team, and they kind of put everything together. Um, There's a basic outline that we follow, and they just kind of fill it in. And then as they fill it in, we put it on the website, and then we make it live. So these people are experts in their field. And the content is curated and also peer reviewed by people that have been looking at this stuff together. And at the end of the day, they can interact with them on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media. And it's a really great way to kind of build connections in a virtual sense, and also further education. So that's kind of how it goes about And for some people, they don't realize at the bottom of the homepage, you can go to resources. And then there's even more resources that the course director thought were important. And all the resources are free. And so it's a really great way to further your education. If you've kind of done the basic module, and you want to learn more, there's always more. 
Well, I love how you dodged around using the term networking and we're like building connections. But you're absolutely right. I think, you know, medicine is such a small field when you really think about it. And it's really important for you to connect with these people who can serve as mentors as you grow in your own, whatever field of your choosing. I think, I guess, an upside of this pandemic is that professional organizations have learned to use social media a lot more and especially medicine. You know, I heard people doing residency connections over Twitter and all of that. I think it's great because again, you can talk to people kind of all over the world, you know, experts in their field and it makes them so accessible and really hopefully will help us grow even better future professionals. Yeah. And it also breaks down those barriers that medicine has built over the years. You know, we have this kind of hierarchy in medicine that, you know, you shouldn't be talking to your attending, you should only be talking to your resident or senior Mm -hmm. resident. But on social media, it's like everyone is open. And I think it's, you know, for some people, that's terrifying. But for others, it's really helpful, especially for those kind of more introverted people who want to put themselves out there, but also not you know, have some kind of backlash from it. Social media is a really great place. It can put your educational content out there. You can network with people. You can talk about personal life in medicine and it's all accepted, which is really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. So because you're on this topic, you're also the creator of hashtag MicromedEd. And so can you talk about this project and what led you to this idea and where do you see it going? So MicromedEd was started last year in August. I've been on a little bit of a hiatus because of step one studying, but I have plenty of content that I'm going to be putting out soon. And basically, it is a blog and a social media kind of campaign. And the goal is to really get microbiology content, educational content out there and help people learn some of the more complicated topics in microbiology and make it more accessible. You know, I think microbiology can be a niche field and it can also be a little daunting for people who don't have as much experience in microbiology or might not have taken an undergrad course in microbiology. Even for people who did take an undergrad course in microbiology, there are literally millions of microbes. And so when you look at everything and someone always knows more than you, it's really hard to get into it and to find it interesting. So I'm just, you know, breaking down the topics and making short little infographics. Recently, some of the ones that have gained more traction, like the types of vaccines was a really important one. I put that out right around the time that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine came out. Um, Some other ones that people have liked were like the gram positive cocci differentials. I think they're all important topics. And it's really just a way to get people to like microbiology and to see how cool it is. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely looking back on second year in medical school, when I was for the first time introduced to microbiology and learning all the microbes, I was definitely overwhelmed just because I think it kind of seemed like there was no pattern. I was just memorizing like, here's this bug name, here are the things that it does, you know, kind of the characteristics. But when you do break it down into these easily digestible charts, you do see that there is a pattern, almost like evolutionary biology, <laughs> like why they do the things that they do and what these specific kind of physical characteristics lead to them doing physiologically in the body. So I think that's really great that you're, again, making these easy to digest infographics. I think that's really helpful for medical students and probably honestly, even like residents and attendings who forget that are they're little bugs. And then 
the last project that you just accomplished. Congratulations, but you've authored uh, several chapters of the recently published book, Ace the Board, uh, Non-Neoplastic Hematopathology and Coagulation. So again, congratulations. This is amazing. How did you get involved with this project and how does it feel to contribute to work like that while you're studying for your own boards? Yeah, I will say it was uh, definitely an honor to receive the invitation. I think this is another testament to how amazing social media is because, you know, putting myself out there doing micro meded and participating in some other social media campaigns and being part of Path Elective, I ended up getting a direct message on Twitter, actually, from the the main author, Dr. Akanksha Gupta. And she was like, would you be interested in making a couple illustrations? They had reached out to me before and they were like, hey, could we use your iron transport image? And I was like, absolutely, you know, go right ahead. I don't care. I mean, it's all out there. It's free. And also the other image that they wanted was the um, trypanosome differential. And so I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And then she reached out and she's like, what about making a couple more? (laughs) So (laughs) I ended up kind of getting involved with it. And initially I was just going to, you know, illustrate and just do that. And then I kind of built as time went on. I ended up working on a few chapters and then ended up making many, many illustrations as um, as the book progressed. And, you know, I think it's an amazing team that Dr. Gupta has put together. They are phenomenal. They are very, very efficient. I mean, we were working on this. I started working on this book in January, February, and it was published in June or July. So that was it was pretty fast. Yeah, it was a fast process. But they're amazing people to work with. I think I've learned way more than I could have ever imagined. And because of it, I ended up seeing many of the things that I put in there on the board. So it was (laughs) a good learning experience as well. I think that honestly, that book is something that I'm going to be using quite a bit. I have actually found it pretty helpful in my internal medicine rotation. Um, There's a lot about laboratory diagnostics and interpretation of some complex laboratory data in there that I think are really, really important. And also some of the familial syndromes that are in there are also things that you actually see. I thought that a lot of these things would be kind of like, oh, I'm going to learn it for boards and then never see it. And I've seen like four of them already and I'm in my second week. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely something that's important as much as I think boards is kind of like learning in isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been really, really interesting seeing it in person. And I think that the Ace the Board series is going to be really key in the future for learning these topics. And I think they present it in such a great way. And now the illustrations just make it even better. So I think it's a, a really great resource. So if you need to learn anything about hematopathology and coagulation, I would recommend looking at this book and uh, seeing what it's like. Yeah, I'm really excited to get my copy. And then I'll have you sign it before you get super famous and ignore all this little people. This is amazing. Again, what an accomplishment. Just in the few things that we discussed today, I mean, your career is already huge. And you're a third year medical student. I can't wait to see where life takes you. But Where do you envision your interest and career taking you? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I haven't fully committed to a specialty. 
Um, I'm pretty sure you all could guess what my top choice is right now. But, you know, I'm going through my third year with my mind open because even if I'm 100% committed to pathology, I think third and fourth year of medical school are so crucial to your understanding of medicine, but they're also the last time you may ever see these things. You know, maybe the last time you ever catch a baby or the last time you give someone a vaccine or the last time you talk to someone about alcoholism. It's almost like you just have to embrace what you have. And I think third year of medical school could be one of those things where you just have to tough it out and get through it. But I definitely am seeing it as uh, an amazing learning experience. And so moving forward, I do picture myself being involved in pathology in one way or another. You know, if I'm on the clinical side, I definitely want to work with my pathologist colleagues and work on test utilization, something that I think is really, really crucial. Um, I know that the American Board of Internal Medicine, I believe, and the American Society for Clinical Pathology are working together on that. And I would love to work with them. You know, Choosing Wisely is a really great campaign. You could look into that. There's plenty that can be worked on for sure. And I think that I also love teaching. And I definitely want that to be a part of my future career, being involved with teaching either ethics or some kind of basic science would be really great, especially if it was at the medical school level or even at like an undergrad or master's level. I think that uh, getting people to fall in love with stuff like this is really, really important. And sometimes medical school is too late. So all of us need to do better reaching out to some of our younger colleagues. And I would love to be part of that. So my future definitely has a lot of research involved, uh, research in ethics and research in medicine. And that's kind of what I'm picturing. Uh, It's kind of an open book right now, but that's where I'm headed. (laughs) You'll definitely have to keep us updated. And I agree with you that sometimes medical school is too late to get people interested in these sorts of topics. And it's just so much easier learning when you're interested, especially topics that can seem daunting when you're in medical school and you only have a few weeks to learn something, you can feel kind of like, well, I don't want to be interested because that will kind of take more time and um, I don't have time for that. So, you know, any kind of reaching out that we can do to younger individuals, even, you know, high school level students. I recently, I think just because of this pandemic and kind of seeing the um, divide in education really across the nation in terms of understanding just basic things like vaccines kind of really uh, led me to have discussions with colleagues about how we just don't teach basic science very well at like the primary education level. And so hopefully we can do better as a country. Absolutely. I think there's so much that can be done. And I totally agree. Uh, I think that there is probably going to be some kind of shift in the way science is taught. How microbiology is taught is a uh, whole monster that you could talk about now with all the diagnostic techniques we have and the millions more species that we know about. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in general, science and medical education, um, and I'm not talking about, you know, undergraduate or graduate medical education, Mm -hmm. I'm more talking about just teaching about medical topics in general, which would probably fall under like life sciences elsewhere, is really crucial. And I, I really think that there is a a different way of tackling this that I just don't think we've gotten there yet. There's definitely work to be done. And I'm glad that people are interested in it. Absolutely. So 
Do you have any parting words of advice for pre-med and underclassmen medical students interested in pursuing pathology, microbiology, and, and the like? I would say go through your undergraduate career with a open mind, be a sponge, enjoy every moment, you know, get into every topic because every single class I was in, in undergrad, I was like, I want to do this. I know I want this, you know, (laughs) and that's how it should be. You should be so interested in all the topics because that's going to be the best way to learn. Undergrad shouldn't be like a checkbox for pre-med. And I think some people think about it that way. But if you really, really enjoy what you're doing, and if you get the most out of what you're doing, you'll go a lot farther, for sure. I think you will find yourself doing better on tests and better on boards and just happier if you kind of enjoy what you're doing. And talk to your colleagues in different fields. Talk to a pathologist. See what they do. See if you would be interested in that. Shadow them for a day. I know that a lot of clinical colleagues get a bunch of requests to shadow, but pathologists don't get as much. So they would probably love to see you. So, you know, hop in, see what it's like to have to give a diagnosis in 20 minutes during a surgery. See what it's like to see a blood smear and tell a patient what they have or do an ultrasound guided fine needle aspiration, something that people don't really think about in pathology. But see what it's like. And I think a lot of people would be pleasantly surprised at what a life in pathology could be. Super cool. So now just for fun, and I know this is going to be a really hard question for you. But what is your favorite microbe? And why? Oh, that's a hard one. There's so many amazing microbes. It's interesting. I mean, recently, one of my favorites has been Capnocytophaga. First of all, because the name is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Um, But it's also one that I think people don't really think about, but it's uh, commonly acquired through dog bites. Okay. It can be a very horrible infection, so it's not something to take lightly, but it's one of those bugs that you don't see that often, and... Mm. Capnocytophaga is one of those neglected diseases. And whenever I have a chance to sprinkle in one of those diseases in conversation, I always, uh, you know, accept that challenge. So Capnocytophaga today, whenever you have a chance, look it up. It's a very interesting one. And now you know, if you get a dog bite, you know, wash it off and watch out for that. <laughs> I'll definitely have to look this one up because I don't think we learned about it. Cool. <laughs> So thanks so much for for being on. And where can our listeners go to support you and your content? Absolutely. I am on Twitter at Cullen underscore Lily, C-U-L-L-E-N underscore L-I-L-E-Y. And I am on Instagram at CLilly underscore MedEd. And you can also find me at pathelective.com. I have all of my links there. And that's also where MicroMedEd is being housed at the moment. So check out the content and I'll see you on the other side. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about all these awesome things that you're doing to further pathology. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. 
This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.